This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. It's now officially summer vacation for most public school districts. Today, you're joining me and Sarah on a field trip to Leo Palmiter High School in Sacramento, California. For the past nine years, the science and horticulture teacher has been building a garden and horticulture program from the ground up and from the inside out and back again. His enthusiasm and spirit shine through, and to kick off your summer vacation, I wanted to share a little of his passion and purpose with you. Happy summer. I'll let him take it from here. My name is Kevin Jordan, and I've been a teacher for nine years, and what really a horticulture teacher for nine years. And I think what got me into plants and loving plants was a number of things. Uh, My family used to camp a lot, so early on I used to love just being outside. But what really, uh, I think, triggered it for me was my mother um, just would love it when the when the garden looked uh, good. And for us, a good-looking garden was actually just when the weeds were pulled a little bit. So our, our standards were pretty low. But uh, I remember um, when I did go out there and sweat it out and work and clean up the garden and the yard a little bit, how happy she'd be and then how thrilled she'd be just the days after. Oh, I'd go out there and she'd just love it. And then that made me feel good. And then as I got a little bit older, I realized, you know what, I think I really enjoy building gardens and gardening and making my mom happy with plants. Uh, and so I think that was one of the first things that really got me excited. And then also my grandfather got me hooked onto uh, Steve Irwin when I was a young boy. And when I saw his passion for wildlife and being able to be like, isn't she gorgeous? You know, he's, when he's talking about crocodiles and snakes and things and, and things that most people would think are, are disgusting or hideous or scary. And here was this man who just had so much passion for, for, um, for wildlife and for nature, and I, he was also, you know, someone who was instrumental in getting me to think, wow, that's that's awesome. And so, um, I kind of feel the same way sometimes. When I'm out in the garden when I see something, an insect or a plant. Um, it's like, man, isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that beautiful? I try to tell it to my students. So it's like, those are the first few things early on where, um, you know, having family and, and maybe having some some folks to look up to who uh, cared about nature in such a way that that was that you could admire and appreciate and, and hopefully emulate as well. And so the, those are the first few things that I think that really got me hooked is just, oh man, I love being outside and I want to learn more. It's seventh grade through 12th grade and, um, and our school is a special education program um, set up for students with emotional and behavioral um, problems. And the whole school or just the entire program? school, okay. the entire school. Yep. We have about 100 students here and then I also serve students from court and community schools like this one right here and that come oftentimes from group homes and, and other uh, special education programs uh, we collaborate with. We also collaborate, uh, collaborate with our um, severely handicapped group um, of like, young adults mm-hmm. that, that are on, in a class out there at Sac State and they're really great. They, they meet us out at the garden at Cap Radio and, and I just love that those group of students. They're really fun to be around and I just I love being on the garden with them. So all the students that we um, have access to here are all at risk of, of something or all have some special need um, or some disability in one, one way or another. We don't, I don't think there's two students here at our school alike. We have about 100 students here. And some of our students, um, depending upon their, their situation, can stay here, I think, legally up to about 20 or 21 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we, it's a really difficult group sometimes. But as you saw when you met the other student, some of our students are just amazing. You know, and they overcome those, those problems and disabilities and whatever's going on at home to, um, to find success here. And then sometimes other students haven't found that 
they're not there yet, you know, or, they, um, and they're, or they're still struggling. And so uh, what's nice is you just, keep, you just keep chipping away at them. And so hopefully if they can't find success here, we'll find ways in which they can be successful. But, you know, poppy petals fall softly, calmly when they are ready. And so there's only so much that you can do. When we meet Kevin at Leo Palmiter School, it is a sunny midday, mid-school week. We start off making our way through the heart of the school's campus, behind the fences from the parking lot and entrance, and through outdoor corridors and walkways. What was clearly once highly pressured turf is now a vibrant flowering bed with student walkways between classrooms on both sides. There are bees and hummingbirds at the salvia, the stackies, the rosemary, the asclepius, the heuchera, lavender, daisies, and more. It's textured and layered, green and lively. Kevin is full of passion and energy. We make our way along this corridor with Kevin, giving us some background on his program as we head toward his indoor classroom and workshop. So every year since then, we've continued on with that approach where we rip out and remove the things that are wasteful and useless to us and replace them with things that are quite the opposite, very yeah. useful. Um, and it just becomes a much more uh, enriched learning environment for our students. You know, you can't learn a whole lot just standing on top of grass. Um, but, you know, you can learn a whole lot more when, that, when there's like 30, 40, 50 different species that you've planted and maintain and take care of. And at the same time, you're not in, using any chemical inputs. You're not having to mow and blow once a week. The, you know, like I said earlier, we water our landscapes only several times a year. And it's typically from May, June, July, August, September, and usually by the end of September middle of October, the water goes off, and even then we're only watering very small amounts of water that are being delivered directly to the root systems of plants that are already drought tolerant. Right. Uh, and not only are they drought tolerant, but they're plants that, as you can see, they're covered in bees, they're covered in pollinators. Right. Um, you know, we've got salvia, sage, rosemary, we've got all these different plants, um, the heuchera, uh, the lamb's ear, in th that draw in different, um, different beneficials. Um, from things to the, to the bees, to, and then a lot of the things that we do here too are to bring in animals and organisms that our students would never see. Right. You know, a lot of our students don't have yards, they live in little concrete jungles, you know, in their apartment buildings, and so they don't have that access uh, or the, to that experience. And so it's nice when we're out here working, you know, you'll see hummingbirds come right down and start right. drinking off the salvia. You'll see uh, the plants we've also put in to bring back uh, monarchs, you know, obviously the milkweed. And so we have milkweed that blooms out here in the summertime, and then Usually when the kids start up the school year again, we'll see monarchs in here. And we didn't see them before when it was lawn. And if you actually look at the, the front, the only lawn on our campus right now is plastic, which <laughs> is sad because to me that's worse than having, you know, I mean, I don't mind lawn. I love grass. I love a nice turf to play on. Uh, and it just has to be maintained. But, you know, it's really sad to see that um, the, the decision makers um, making decisions that are not only costly to people that have to pay taxes, but aren't really beneficial to the people um, that it was intended to help. Right. And so, um, it's, so, so out here you can see a perfect example of what students uh, and you know, working with their teachers and getting support from the, uh, places like yeah. the Sacramento, or the, the Stormwater Quality Partnership. Right. You know, great things happen. This, this garden gets better every single year. It's probably had you know, a couple hundred different students that get to work in it. And if this wasn't here, it would just be another lawn that our students never um, utilized and that we would be paying somebody to come mow twice a week in the growing season. Right. And so, uh, and as you can see, it's covered in pollinators. Yeah, we're seeing uh, carpenter and, bees yeah. and honeybees, and I saw surfid flies. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah, and we, That's so we great. love it. And so there's, there's so many uh, facets to why it's beneficial, but those are just a few the, uh, right there of why we love it so much. 
When we leave the pollinator plantings, we enter into Kevin's workshop-style classroom. It's well-lit and has a door on the far side from where we enter, which is open to what you can see is a gardening area outside. But inside, the room is full of the gear of greenhouses the world over. Racks covered with the greenery of indoor plants. Tables are covered with the seasonal projects that always seem to be mid-process in a working garden space. There are dried seed heads and screens of seed cleaning going on. There are seedling trays and potting soil. Young plants are being pricked out and potted on. The fragrance of potting soil, compost, and foliage is rich. And then there are the aquaponics towers that Kevin shares with us. I could not imagine a classroom that has more plants per square foot in it. Um, you can see our aquaponic systems that we built from, from various grants um, from the Stormwater Quality Partnership. Because what's more river-friendly gardening than aquaponics? Uh, this is actually beyond organic. Um, we don't even use organic um, fertilizers or pesticides. Uh, we have native fish or near-native fish. They were brought here a while back. Uh, bluegill, red-eared sunfish. There's also crawfish in there. So three types of protein that are all edible if we choose to eat them. And then um, we have different types of systems. Uh, and so we get to experiment uh, with our fish, with our plants. Uh, and the, uh, the whole aquaponics uh, is, uh, is a very, very uh, exciting thing for our students. We actually built this one just a few weeks ago. This was not there. This was a grant we just received. And, we're actually waiting on some more lights that we're actually getting donated from General Electric, which is really exciting because that allowed us to make a bigger, more sophisticated, more beautiful system. Um, and so we love it. And our, our students come in here and they're, they're really engaged. Um, even for the students who, who don't really want to participate out in the garden, right. this will pique their interest and we can get them working at least in here. And so uh, for me, I, I love working on these systems because it's just, it's, it's exciting. We can grow, actually we grow really good produce out of it. It's a shame you guys weren't here like a week or two ago. We, I mean, in this system, we harvest huge heads of lettuce and they're just so beautiful compared to what you get in the store. It, just, it looks completely different. We right. grow several different varieties. And like I mentioned, it's beyond organic. We don't even use or, or organic supplements. Um, we feed the fish. Uh, bacteria breaks the fish waste down into usable nutrition for the plants. Uh, that waste would be toxic to the fish, but the plants suck it up like, like amazing uh, wonders of nature, and they filter that out, and they use that as you know, fertilizer, and then when the water returns back to the tank, it's now clean and ready for the fish to, to you know, put their waste back into. And so it just works, it works wonderfully. Uh, the plants grow really fast. You can use this outside. For us, this is all indoors. You can see we have LED lights, and well, we bought them from several different companies. There's a lot of options out there, different intensities and different price ranges. So folks can kind of figure out what's best for them if they want to use it. Some people use it for seed germination. Um, but what's nice is that they're really low cost once you get them used, once you, get them in, once you make the purchase. The, the energy needs are super low and all the ones we purchased are rated for like 30 years before they degrade to like 90%, 95% efficiency. So they're really e efficient. Um, compared to, uh, to, to lights and light systems in the past. Okay, so explain to me, so show me exactly, like you, you have the fish, you have the water, it's fresh water. Yep, absolutely, so we'll actually take water, and so sadly, you know, like the city water is a little different, it's, it comes with chlorine, sometimes chloramine in it. So um, for the fish, that helps keep the water clean for us, but for the fish, they don't want to be swimming in chlorine water, um, or else if they did, I'd have a swimming pool as a kid filled full of fish. <laughs> But so we let the water sit out and let that chlorine evaporate. Um, and then once it does, after about you know, two to three days, then we'll add it to the tank. And really, we don't do water changes. All we do are top-offs. Okay. So like, that's what's great is a lot of um, 
With hydroponics, you gotta do a lot of water changes over time, and that's where you just, obviously, when you grow plants, you know, uh, without soil, but you gotta use chemical inputs, or sometimes now they're using organic fertilizers, but still that water has to be switched out. This water, all we do is replace what's, what's evaporated out, or what's also been sucked up and used, uh, that's stored away in the plant material. We just replenish it. So how does the sucking up part work? Show there's me. A, yeah, there's a pump down here in the bottom, and it's just a very typical aquarium pump, or even pond pump, and like I said, here is a fish, and we have a nice school of uh, red-eared sunfish and bluegill. These were started as guppies last year. And so they eat, we feed them, we feed them a lot of worms from our worm bins. Okay. We're also gonna be experimenting soon with like mealworms and uh, potentially even soldier fly larvae as, as, a, as a sustainable food source. Cause we can give, we can go buy. When we first started, we were buying, you know, fish feed and stuff. And after a while, it's like, wouldn't it be nice to not have to pay for that? So we feed them a lot out of worms, red wiggler worms out of our complex. We just so the worm, the composting worms. Yeah. yeah. And the worms actually are great because we actually even have them living in the gravel. So up here we have like expanded clay pebbles. That's actually the grow media that we're using. Okay. And we actually put red wigglers in there so that they, they'll actually live in there and nibble away old root matter and plant material. So we'll feed the red wigglers. They'll eat them. They'll poop them out. And that waste is just in the water. And actually, as you can see, this water is like dang near crystal clear. Very clear. And we just fed them a few minutes ago before you got here. Um, and that's usually when it gets the, the dirtiest, but it's crystal clear. And so the water just gets pumped up by a cheap little pump, you know, or you can get different sizes depending upon what, what you have. But you know, maybe $60 or whatever, 40 bucks. It pumps up right here and it enters right here into the tank. Uh, there's different ways you can do it. You can do a flood and drain system where you'll have a, si a bell siphon at the end where the water will raise up to a specific level and then that, that, that siphon action will occur and then you'll hear that and then all the water will drain back out and into the bottom. For us, when we started doing that, that's what I wanted to do because I heard it's really good at sucking in oxygen into your grow media. But the problem is that since we, our system is like stacked right on top of the tank, the tank would go down to about six inches of water every time oh. to fill this up to be drained back down. So it was a little gnarly for the fish. So what we did is we did a uh, continuous flow. Okay. So we have the gravel in here yeah. and about the gravel uh, bed gets flooded with water except for about an inch and a half to about two inches of dry gravel on top. Okay. So that way the base of your plants, you know, the stem, that's out of the water, but its roots will be in the water and the water's constantly flowing. For us, for our view, it's left to right. Basically one in is in and then the other end is the drain. So you have a standpipe here, which is basically just a fancy way of saying an elevated drain. You can hear it sucking. So that standpipe basically lets the water get to a specific height always. And that, that height is maintained and then that water drains back down, now you know, flush and clean back to the tank just to be you know, sucked up and put, you know, so it's, it's, always, it's always cycling, absolutely. And so these rocks and this gravel is covered in bacteria. It's actually a gigantic biological filter on its own. Right. But with the plants there, it's like, you know, supercharged filter. Like I said, the water is crystal clear. We haven't done any water changes. I don't even have like, like a vacuum where you know how people suck up, you know, oh, clean yeah. their tanks. Yeah, I had one. Yeah. We have none of that. Actually, we, the one thing that we got was a little bit of algae on the tank. And so what we did is we got a placostomus and put it in there. And yep. he hangs out with the other fish and they don't mess with them too much. Although they did in the first day he got in there because he was so little. We call him lucky now, um, but he survived. And, and actually we don't, well, we used to have to hand, you know, scrub the tank. Now we don't even clean it at all. And so the water's crystal clear. The plants are, uh, are super happy. These were that big. Th these were this large about a week and a half ago. So what's nice with, the, with this system is we can have these LED lights. We can have our days not, we don't have to worry about what's going on outside, whether it's freezing outside, 110 degrees outside, we can control the environment in here and have it, you know, be the same spring day every day. We can, you know, and so we can have long, actually a spring day weather with like a Alaskan day sun. You know, we could have this light on for 24 hours a day if we chose. 
um, but it's nice to kind of give the plants a little bit of a rest. So but how long is the light on at this point? Right now, I think I have the timer on. I think they're at like a like an 18-hour day of light. Um, sometimes, like this one right here, on his, we're experimenting with a full 24-hour. It's been on nonstop for a few days just to just to see, just to see how how, they, how the seedlings react. So you have lettuce in here. You have house plants over there. Just a few, actually. Though, um, eventually, this will be have LED lights in both levels, and will oh, and will be herbs and lettuce 24/7. But just because we just finished building it and we had open house, I, I threw in some spathophyllum and some other stuff. But right here, we actually do have lettuce seedlings. Oh, we have okay. some basil popping up. Um, these are like cool to the touch. The lights are kind of like, you know, like I said, these are from uh, Phillips. Yeah. That was the first company we, uh, we chose with. And they, and they were great. The light comes out. You can see it's glowing like purple. Yeah. Um, and so you can get different wavelengths and spectrums and that are designed for vegetative growth, flowering, or hybrid. Um, all different types. It really depends on, on what, you're, what you're after. And so for us, it works really, really well. Um, and up, up top, you can see we have some ficus up there growing. Um, but it, when we get the lights set up, then those ones will just be two levels of herbs, lettuce. Uh, basil grows great in here. Um, you know, like I said, all, yeah, oh yeah. We've done chard, um, we've done herbs, um, chives, and all types. Um, you can really, um, the things we haven't done really are like larger, you know, like tomatoes and things like that that require a bit, a bit more space and a, and a bit more um, intensity as far as their light and, and their nutrition. But when you see a head of lettuce that grows up and like, I saw also that's what's great too, is that the harvest time is faster. So we're not, we're not pulling weeds and we're not doing all that, but now we can grow a head of lettuce like two weeks shorter, if not, you know, even shorter than that, than it would take if we're outside in the sun and soil. And also the water need is actually, even though it's constantly flowing and we have to add some water, it's actually, we probably use about 95% less water in these systems than we do even outside using our drip. Um, so it's really good at uh, conserving water um, with technology on the rise. And actually what we want to do now is actually um, work with my students. And I'm not techie, but just to show you that anybody can do it. And, you know, I didn't know about aquaponics until just a few, you know, until these last handful of years. You learn your research. And so what we want to do is we actually want to make um, computer systems to run these. Basically Arduinos, some Raspberry Pi action, which are really affordable, cheap little computer circuit boards that were designed just for these kind of systems. We're, for people to learn and how to do it themselves. And so we, uh, with, with something like that, we could have temperature probes, we could have electrical conductivity, we could have the, you know, the nutrient levels being measured, um, the, the water flow of the pumps. And so our students could then get, they could access that information on their smartphones at home or anywhere on the earth. And they could go, oh, you know, time to harvest. Uh, the pump in tank three is off or it's, or it's slowing down or you know, our pH is completely off, whatever it may be, we can design that, those systems relatively easy, you know, and I haven't done one yet, but I, from what I've researched and from what I'm prepared to do, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very confident that, that we can make it happen. And then I think to me, that's one more thing that, that builds on it. You know, um, I think in the past, you know, landscaping, horticulture classes and ground maintenance, I think it tended to try to be a place where like, oh, you just go there and we'll just pull weeds and we'll go rake leaves. We pull weeds and we rake leaves. Absolutely. And I love doing that. But it's like, I really want my students to have access to like di many different levels of difficulty and to have, uh, to have a view of horticulture and agriculture that is um, hopefully a little more broad than it would be if we were just out in the sun sweating with, with uh, you, know, a, you know, a cultivator in our hand, which actually we were doing this morning, which like I said, I do enjoy as well. But, um, but it doesn't appeal to everybody. And this not. opens up the minds of people who might be not interested in, in gardening or horticulture per se, but they get here and they get a computer and it's technological and all of a sudden you're like, wait, this is really great. 
it lights on. up a whole different group of people. Spot on, yeah, for sure. And so all of our students are all different. You know, we're all different here. And so we really need to um, be as aggressive as we can in finding uh, ways that we can intrigue those students because I don't believe that schools and education is, are changing at a pace at which is necessary to keep up with the, the, the pace and change of our culture. And so um, I don't want to have to battle a student over their cell phone. Why not, you know, have something that's shinier and more fun for them to learn from and play with um, than their phone? And so that's what I try to work on is, you know, create opportunities for them to kind of get excited. And so we've had students like that work on this, this system here, putting the tile on and help me plumb it up and using power tools that they've never even seen or heard of or touched. I've had students that worked on this project that didn't do anything f for me up until this project all year. I mean, showing up to school in jammies and you know, and you know, acting you know in terrible ways, and then all of a sudden, boom! Here's an opportunity that that sparks their curiosity, and or it's there's an activity in that project that they go, oh, I, I like that. Like I said, the, I had a lot of little masons that developed when I started doing this. Who, like I said, were students who, who I couldn't beg to get anything done, but all of a sudden, we got the tile saw out, we're cutting slate, we got mortar going, and they're seeing the progress. Like I said, this this machine, this was not this device, this system wasn't here a few weeks ago. And now it's here. And then now the students that were here now will take care of it. And the students in the years to come will take care of it. And maybe it'll change and maybe it'll improve. But uh, hopefully it'll, I mean, just a handful of students can, can get a little bit of success because it's like all we need is a little baby steps to chip away at somebody. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. This week, we're on an in-person field trip to visit the inspiring garden and horticulture program at Leo Palmiter High School in Sacramento, California. Led by science and horticulture teacher Kevin Jordan for the past nine years, the program is growing and flourishing. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. Hey, it's me, Jennifer. To visit gardeners in the field and see in person their labors of love is always exciting. But visiting Kevin's classroom and school gardens was really particularly moving. His passion and the program he's built and tended these past nine years, just think of it. Think of the exponential numbers of people this program and this man have impacted. Classes of students for nine years. The other teachers, math, science, English, culinary cafe teacher, history and technology teachers. Think of all the families of these students and staff who have the beautiful produce come home, the growing ideas and energy that come home. From one teacher and one plot of land over a nine year period. It's like that old shampoo advertisement. And she told two friends, and she told two friends, and she told two friends. We all know the power of small, compounded, positive faith action. Well, Kevin Jordan is this in spades. What small, compounded actions do our gardens or our garden lives bring into the world? It's a good thing to consider. Now, back to our field trip to the school garden program of Kevin Jordan in Sacramento, California. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to continue our field trip to the Leo Palmiter High School in Sacramento, California, with science and horticulture teacher Kevin Jordan. Kevin writes, our school campus is located at the heart of a struggling suburban neighborhood that has experienced more than its share of violence and crime. 
I believe our school has the potential to impact this community in a positive way by being a beautiful example of how to create and maintain beautiful and edible landscapes that have a beneficial impact on our local environment. Welcome back. What do you do with your produce that you grow at that level? Where does that go? Most of it, we'll, we'll, we'll first our students who help with that will get first dibs, you know. And so some of them, it's great. They'll take it home and you know you'll, they'll bring back something or they'll show you what they ate. And like I said, a lot of our students don't have access or the kind of funds, um, or even just the family behavior to be to be you know eating certain produ produce and things. And so it's really cool to be able to send them home with something because maybe they'll enjoy it, maybe their parents will like it, and maybe they'll go, oh yeah, we do like this. And so they'll start cooking with it or whatever it may be. That they'll come back with a great story and hopefully they had a, a nice little moment with it. Um, but for them, they'll get first dibs. Then a, a lot of the bulk of it will go to Chef Zonizer, Chef Z, our wonderful chef here, and he teaches uh, the culinary department. And so we kind of work together. He, he makes great meals with his students, and we try to provide them with as much produce and herbs as we can that fit within what he needs. And so uh, he'll get some, and then a lot of it we can sell at plant sales. Um, sometimes staff will come over and want to purchase some or you know, get some to make something to bring back, uh, back for the students. I have that happen a lot where we'll give uh, certain staff members, and actually subs are pretty cool for this too. They've done a bit of this, like we have a long-term sub or sub's gonna be here for a few days. Uh, we'll give them some, some produce, and then they'll come back the next day with some weird cultural dish I've never tried or whatever, or maybe I, I don't know, definitely the kids haven't tried it, and then we'll try it, and the kids are like, oh my gosh, this is delicious. And they're like, what's in this? It's like all the stuff you said you hated yesterday, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's fun, and that's, that's another benefit, you know, to our, to our garden is that, and to this program is that, our students need exposure to good things, you know, to nutrition, to, to healthy things in life, whether those behaviors are eating healthy or just being kind to one another or whatever, or being able to complete a task and keep a job, um, being able to like get somebody addicted to great things like, like a fresh tomato or whatever it may be, basil or whatever, to get them like exposed to that and have them go, man, I didn't know I loved these things until I, in, in, until I came here. Right. You know, so I have a lot of students who come over, I don't wanna eat that, I'll never eat it, I'll never wanna try it. I'm like, okay, I'm like, just try a little bit, you know, I'll give you a Jolly Rancher, you know, and then before they know it, I, like, I, I used to have to give Jolly Ranchers away as, like, um, a reward. Now I have, like, two old stuck-together bags of Jolly Ranchers in there uh, <laughs> because I, I give them strawberries now. I give them house plants to take home, you know, seedlings, um, bouquets they can make. You know, there's so many different things that we can now provide them with that have way more value than a Jolly Rancher, uh, that it's, it's great that those things are just sitting in there and now, like I said, it's, I think all those thousands of Jollies are turning into one Jolly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's fun to be able to get them hooked yeah. on something like that, because then it's like, ooh, okay, maybe, maybe that is a good thing. From the classroom, we head out to the back garden area. We walk through a greenhouse and composting section where strawberry towers are producing loads of fruit. And plants for the summer sit in the shelter of the greenhouse, being hardened off before being set out into the main ground vegetable garden, which is just beyond an orchard. We head across a small parking lot to get to the orchard and row crop garden. As you can see, our orchard uh, is gorgeous. And this was all lawn, just like it looked out there. They'd water it like crazy. You have done some incredible things here. Oh, thank you, thank that you. That is awesome, Kevin. So this was paid for by a Lowe's grant, the Lowe's Toolbox for Education. I recommend anybody who's, you know, uh, teaching or in a, in a nonprofit organization, get active about your grants. You know, search them down. Everything, any, every cool thing I've showed you so far, Every landscape, every project we've done wasn't paid for by my school district, wasn't paid for um, through our uh, school's money. It was all paid for by grants, by either, by either private corporations um, 
or you know utility districts and things like that. And so um, grants are where it's at. Um, I wouldn't have anything out here if it wasn't for other people supporting us yeah. through those through those opportunities. So I want to be very clear there. I'm so thankful for those opportunities, and I think other teachers and other individuals that want to do similar things just get active about grant uh -huh. searching and writing, yeah. and uh, it, it'll really come back to you tenfold. And you can see we've got a bit of uh, peach leaf curl here, um, but not too bad. And so some of them will spray down to show them, and other times I'll, I will neglect a tree just to show a kid, hey, this is what peach leaf curl is. Not the end of the world, but it can be avoided. Um, right. So uh, this is like a little, you know, this is like a test orchard. We have, I think, 20-something fruit trees. A lot of them are grafted. They're all grafted, but a lot of them have several varieties. So oh, we've, okay. got, we've got cherry. We've got three or four types of peach, a couple different types of nectarine, three types of pluots. We have apriums. Um, we have a tree out there that's four in one. You know, it's like apricot, plum, a nectarine, and a peach. We've got lots of citrus, um, lemons, oranges, blood oranges, mandarins, three or four types of mandarin, three types of heat heat tolerant uh, apples um, and we see we just finished planting our summer crops if you were here about two weeks ago this it was lush with you know kale and greens right, right, but you know right. they, it's getting hot so we ripped <laughs> them all out now our tomatoes peppers melons we've got lots of stuff this year that's gonna be so delicious uh, Crenshaw melons two or three types of watermelon honeydew cantaloupe in summer school. Summer, you're okay, summer school. Summer school. That's what and for. they'll have, you'll, the melons at least should be here when the fall students come Absolutely. back. Absolutely. Yeah. So summer, fall, like when we start up in August again, um, it's, it's insane. We'll, like we were eating melons every single day in my class. We'd okay, let's go out and get a couple melons. We bring them in, we'll slice them up. Uh, we juice a lot. So like in the winter, we have tons of lemon and, and so much uh, blood orange. And so for students, when we'll hand crank out some juice and it's, you know, it's awesome. The kids love it. It's so delicious. Uh, so there's always something going on. That's what this garden's kind of been designed to, to try to give them a, a little taste of a, a lot of different things. And so it's a lot of fun. And same, like I was saying earlier, we don't spray anything out here that um, isn't, you know, organic certified. That's why I said we've got some peach leaf curl. <laughs> but we try to get as close to organic. We don't put any synthetic fertilizers out here. We use all the worm um, castings in our garden, and we also do a ton of composting. So we, and we, hand, we hand sift our compost with the students, and then we add that as we did these last weeks. So my back hurts. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, we try to, try, to t try to build up our soil as much as possible. This actually, this soil was horrible when we first started. It was clay. It was, it was all basically fill dirt, essentially. Because right. this used to be a parking lot that got removed and then filled in. And so we kind of re replaced a lot of that fill dirt with rich soil that we've kind of, I've been here for nine years, so it's taken a while. So how soon did you plant the orchard? How old is the orchard? Orchard, I think we're on year six. You're six of this garden? And like I said, it, it used to look like just like that lawn out there, which is actually just a collection of weeds that they, they water and mow into the shape of a lawn. Um, which is better than a lawn. Yeah, yeah, a little more durable. Yeah. Um, yeah, like most lawns. Actually, it, it's a California lawn. Yeah, uh, for sure. But we ripped all that out, ripped out the old irrigation, actually recycled all the, all the old irrigation too, and, uh, which allowed us to have you know, a couple more dollars to buy stuff. And then we ran drip to everything. Um, you see we have here, we have the drip tape here. Students worked every step of the way to uh, rip out the pipes to install the new irrigation um, those are previous students and um, now we have you see we have a wall of blueberries there uh, a couple years ago the uh, facilities came in and built a fence around my garden because i kept expanding i kept planting more <laughs> fruit trees around it and so they were like oh man it's getting big so they, they, fenced, me in. they fenced me in but you know so i told the students hey let's just make what we have perfect and then if we want to expand, that, that'll create an argument for more space. But if we don't take care of what you have, how can you argue for more? And as you probably know, it's like 
it's um, getting people involved in agriculture especially is going to be a big issue in this next 5, 10, 15, 20 years where there's going to be a huge wave of older farmers who are done, you know, and are retiring and, you know, and need to move on and uh, or will just choose to move on. And those those folks have to be replaced with really skilled um, horticulturist, agriculturist. And so I think if, if we can push for that, you know, trades early on, hands-on learning, like all, all this should be done elementary, middle school, high school, all the way up. And so I think hands-on learning, skills-based learning um, is going to be something that will hopefully be talked about more and more because, um, you know, teaching to the test and all this kind of stuff. And um, I think it's provably over time going to show that it's, it's not beneficial, you know, like I love history. I love all these different majors, but it's um, when you start cranking out, I think our education systems would do a lot better for themselves if we started churning out students who could actually do um, as well as think, you know, we need some doers. We got, we got many different varieties. We got one, two, three, maybe seven, eight different types of tomato out here, four types of pepper, about three or four types of basil. Um, we have three types of cucumber. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of diversity in our garden. Maybe not as much as some folks, but it will produce, you know, and we'll keep out here and keep fertilizing and keep the kids out in the garden, you know, throughout the year. And in the winter, it's packed full. And in the summer, it'll be packed full. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fun and it's pretty delicious. I think last year, I think just the tree fruit alone was probably like four or 500 pounds. And uh, what, what happened to it all? in my gut. No, uh, <laughs> no, I eat it. The, uh, the students eat it. Like I said, we can use it as a reward. That replaces right. the Jolly Rancher. Right. And you'd be shocked. I, th I think the students work a whole heck of a lot harder for like a peach or a nectarine or some melon than they will a Jolly Rancher. Yeah. Um, although the occasional students like, no, I'm good. I'm good. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get that student too. <laughs> Just give us time. Yeah. And that's where like or for students who hate tomatoes. My gateway tomato is a sun gold. Oh, yeah. And so for students, I, I hate tomatoes. And then by the end of the summer, they're out eating sun golds like a wild goat. And it's like, get out of there. Get out of my garden. But, no, but then I'm almost happy that they're eating it and taking it home or that they want to take it home. You can get a sense of Kevin's dynamic teaching style as he moves back and forth from the whimsy and humor of the garden and students and the great outdoors and the more cerebral gravity of its importance to him and to the hope for long-term success of his students, as well as the garden's ability to reach the hearts and minds, hands and souls of the wide diversity of students in his care these past nine years. This is not something he jokes about. We can learn, we can learn about math, science, history, you know, English language arts, um, business, all those things can can be covered when you're when you're out in the garden when you're working when you're planning a garden um, when you're working with horticulture agricultural um, aspects it's like there's so many different things that we can cover that um, normally in education get separated 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 but things don't you know jobs don't work that way you don't separate one task or one little aspect from another it's all you know you, know, you got to work with people you got to have uh, the ability to research ability to learn and that's really what I'd hope for my students is when they're all said and done is you know, have some self-respect, have some self, some pride in what you do, have an, have an ability to learn quickly and, and, and just, get, just get, get your stuff done, stick to it. And if you need help, ask for it, you know, communicate. And so those are hopefully like, like the overall arching principles that, I, that like any hands-on program, no matter what you're learning, whether it's in the culinary, whether you're in construction trade um, or over here or anywhere else, it's like uh, it builds self-worth, it builds a sense of 
you know, um, I can do this, I can learn, I know how to learn, you know, the process of learning and being able to work independently, more importantly, being able to work successfully with other people that, yes. you, that are often not on the same wavelength as you or have different issues as you. And, and if a student can be successful here, then, then they can find success in a lot of other places as well. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Summer vacation is here, and to kick it off with some enthusiasm and a vitamin shot of garden love, today we're on an end-of-school-year field trip to an extensive garden program wholeheartedly run by science and horticulture teacher Kevin Jordan. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. Hey, it's me, Jennifer. Integral. Integrity. Integrated. I think about the connotations that these words bring to mind a lot when I'm in the garden. How all of life's best lessons feel integral to engagement with the garden and nature generally. Kevin Jordan is clearly driven by these same concepts and connections as he works to reach his students' strengths and motivations through the power of the garden. Several times in our conversational field trip, he acknowledges how he doesn't reach every student's interest with every garden project, but that he knows when he does. When it was the building, or the tile cutting, or the soldering of electrical connections, or the culinary cafe interpretation of the garden's produce that finally lights a student up, and he can say, aha, there it is. We've made the connection. Sometimes it's our hands in the living dirt that gets us. Sometimes it's arranging flowers and foliage. Sometimes it's taking a bite out of that sweet, juicy peach, like a wild goat, as Kevin says of his students. And there's always more than one way to grow or eat or cook a peach. It's these connections that I make with you, gardeners out there in and around the world that light me up. Even when I'm in my own garden, in the cool of an early, early morning before the summer heat tops for the day, I'm there by myself from one view of things, but I'm also companioned by all the plants and animals around me, and by all of you out there in your gardens and on your trails. We're everywhere, and as Kevin makes abundantly clear, we need to be. Our human impulse to garden is important. In it, we find our similarities as well as our individuality. This impulse is our shared history and our future at its brightest. It makes a difference to our mindsets, to our families, to our communities, our economies, and our environments. Are you on Instagram or Facebook? Look me up at Cultivating Place and say hi. And while you're there, look up and follow at Urban Oasis Kid to see Kevin's school garden progress at Leo Palmiter High School in Sacramento. You might just keep this conversation going. After all, the whole point of Cultivating Place is to have conversations about these things we love and that connect us all. Together, we gardeners and nature lovers make a difference for the better in this world. Okay, now back to our conversation with Kevin Jordan and his mission-driven school garden program. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to continue our conversation with Kevin Jordan, science and horticulture teacher for the past nine years at the Leo Palmiter High School in Sacramento, California. 
The on-campus garden program consists of native plant and pollinator corridors, indoor plant growing, aquaponics units, vermiculture and standard composting areas, a small greenhouse and potting area, a fruit tree orchard, and an in-ground vegetable garden with seasonal row crops. Additionally, Kevin and his students work in an extensive edible landscape at their nearby public radio station, Capital Public Radio in Sacramento. We're back after a break to hear more. Welcome back. When did you know you wanted to be a horticulture teacher, and is that your job title here? Yeah, my job title uh, when I first started was ROP, horticulture teacher, regional occupational program. That's now um, they rebranded it in a fancier name, CTE, career technical education. It's the same same thing. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to do that. So f- as I was going through college, I worked in several different nurseries. Um, when I first got into that industry, I didn't know what a marigold was. I just know I loved plants and I loved working with my hands and being outside and talking with other people that knew about plants. And so honestly, um, as a freshman in college, uh, I was just going to college because I wanted to play football for a little longer. And then I realized, man, I, I like learning too. And then so uh, I took some horticulture classes so that way I could learn a little bit while I was working at a nursery. Just watering roses all day and carrying soil to people's cars and then after about six years of working in the nursery industry I was able to work my way up and um, before by the end of it I was like an outside salesperson where all I do is walk around all day talking about plants with people and not lifting a single thing typically (laughs) Um, and so it was nice and then um, that kind of helped you know me have a little bit of money to kind of get through college a little bit to kind of ease the burden and as I graduated through college I realized I want to be a teacher you know, that's, that's, I want to help people. I want to, I want to, you know, become a teacher. And so I, uh, I I actually trained to become an earth science teacher. Uh, but my professional background was in horticulture. And as I, once I graduated from Sacramento state with my teaching credential to go teach science and, and geography, I found that there weren't many jobs in my area for, for what I wanted to teach. Uh, and then I just, a friend had mentioned, Hey, I work for Sacramento County office of ed. And I saw this thing come through and I was like I, I know you you know you're a teacher and don't don't you know plants so I looked at the at the uh, application or whatever the opening and I was like wow this is incredible and you had to have five years experience it actually didn't you didn't even need a teaching credential when you teach ROP CTE you just have to have the professional a career background in it so which I did so it was great so when I went and applied I didn't think I'd ever in a million years get the job I had to go do a couple of different interviews and it, it just then I got the call back that I got the job and then I just remember walking into my classroom the first day as a horticulture teacher just like with like a little tear in my eye just man man, this is like this is really where I was meant to be even with all the difficulties you know it's not a dream necessarily day in and day out um, dealing with some of the behaviors but all in all I was I had like a you know I was so excited to be here that first day and now I regret it no I'm I'm just kidding (laughs) Um, no absolutely not and so I think I kind of just fell backwards into it where my passion and my, my professional background kind of merged together just magically. It just worked out. And I, I think it, I'm so thankful <laughs> that it worked out in such a way because I feel like um, if I was teaching earth science at a traditional high school or geography like I'd planned, I probably would have been not teaching by now because mm-hmm. I'm not a traditional, I wasn't a good student. And so and I'm not a traditionally good teacher but I'm passionate and I'm knowledgeable about what I do teach. How old are you? I am 32, 32, 33, 32, 33, something like that. And you've been here for nine years. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. So out of all the teachers here, I've been here longer than anybody. Um, 
And so our turnover here is pretty quick. I think our average like career here is like two years. Um, teachers come and go very quickly, um, not just at our school, but at most schools, but especially here because of our population and their special, uh, their special needs and the behaviors can be a, um, a bit difficult for some folks. Um, I've just learned to power through it, to be resilient with those kind of behaviors and, and create situations where the students don't have to you know, act out in such a way. And if they do, it's probably more of a personal issue that they have to just work through and mature on their own. But uh, I'm, I think I'm, I'm lucky to, to still be here after nine years, that my program's still going and, and that it's been being able to been built up to this point. Yeah. So when you, when you look back over nine years and you look at all of the different arms of the program that you walked us through today from the classroom, the uh, pollinator plant corridors throughout the center of the school, the orchard, the in-ground vegetable garden and row crops, you think of all the students who have been through this program and the fact that you've been here nine years what 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 do you come away with as what you're proudest of you know that's a great question because sometimes I, I feel like oh man I did I did great I really helped the student and then some days things will happen or I'll hear things about former students and sometimes those things are really good and I, I get really excited and happy for them and other times with just the reality of life and our population is sometimes it's, it, get, it does get discouraging when you feel like you've done a lot of work and you're not sure how to measure it. So for me, I get really excited when I see a student like we saw earlier who's just plugging along, working, and proud of their work. And then those students become very employable adults. And so I, those are the students and the, and the things that I'm really proud of. I'm also excited and proud just to be, to be able to kind of create those projects and allow those students to have, have access um, to those experiences but to be perfectly honest sometimes I do get discouraged and I feel like there's more that I could be doing or should be doing to to help my students you know it's I think it's easy to pat yourself on the back um, when, when you um, which I like to do sometimes probably but ultimately I think I'm a little I'm like my worst critic so I feel like I don't think I feel like I've accomplished enough to, to feel satisfied or to feel as if I um, are like really you know proud of what I've accomplished because I feel like my job isn't done and I have so much more to do and so I I don't even try not to worry too much because when I do focus on those things I I actually for being a positive person I'll, I'll head more towards the negative where I I don't see the accomplishments and I, I don't really see the success and but in a way I think that's maybe healthy for achieving a higher level of success and when you think about some of the things you've done to get your um, get your students and your program out further into the world. The, the Garden at Cap Public Radio doing the kind of program with me. We've talked back and forth over social media. Why do you think that's important? Because it tells a story, you know, and I think, you know, nothing, nothing uh, if it happens in a vacuum chamber, you know, that, you know, no, nobody will notice it. Or, you know, if that tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, did it you know, to make a sound. So I want my students, I want our program, and I want uh, them to make a sound in a very positive way. And so th thankfully through social media, 
through building relationships with folks like you and the CAP Public Radio and businesses and individuals. Um, those, those relationships, I think, are what strengthen the program and, and really are, are probably what I am proud of is, is building up the program in that way where you have people that gravitate towards something that want to support you and then you want to support them and it, you become part of a larger community and then, then the students hopefully will see that and realize, hey, these people are great people and they think that you're great and they think that what you're doing is pretty special. And so for students who really haven't had that kind of attention, I think can be a powerful thing. And, you know, it's always great. You want to build, you know, young people's self-esteem. But if, if you're patting someone on the back and tell them they did a great job when they didn't do a great job, that's pointless. You know, I know we, like, like, like the whole uh, everyone gets a trophy. Um, but if everyone earned a trophy, there's no problem with it, you know. But when you're handing out rewards and things to an individual who didn't earn it, there, there's not a whole lot of uh, pride in that. And so for my students do get that praise and they do get that recognition and they know that it was because of all that hard work and effort. To me, that's like that's that's golden. You know, like I said earlier, that is that is so valuable um, that I just that those are the things that are that are really enrich um, the experience. Is having all these other individuals and groups support my students in such a way, and then and bring uh, attention to them. And and if I have to sing a goofy rap about gardening, um, I'll do it. You know, or whatever it takes. You know, and so there's there's still things that we can do to expand our reach to others and hopefully get other people inspired. Um, and actually, just from our program. We've already helped build school gardens at several different schools um, and then got those programs supported, um, other horticultural programs in the, in the area. There's one at Grant. There's one at Luther Burbank Garden. There's teachers there that are just phenomenal, and we all support each other. And so uh, any chance I get to support them, I do, and, and that support just comes back tenfold anyway, so it's always worth the effort. And so that the collaboration and the communication and trying to – that outreach, you know, people listen to you and your show and – and then that I, that grows, you know, your viewers, you know, your listenership or whatever it may be. And that's what we want. I want for people um, in our community to um, to appreciate our schools. And our schools should 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 work to hope to enrich our communities and and, and the other way around. And they they shouldn't be separate, you know. And so I think the more involvement you get from your community, from your business leaders, um, to take you know to take ownership a bit of the school and the students there. That I think is where progress will be made. Is when is when when those relationships, not just ours, but other everybody else, yeah. starts continuing. And um, that's already happening. But it's it's like a spark that needs to be a wildfire. Yeah. And it's funny because when you're talking, like these are some of the best lessons of the garden, right? They are. You're not going to get a strawberry if you don't work hard for that plant and help that plant be in the right condition. So a plant never gives you a reward without you deserving that reward. And that interconnectedness of the communities of the soil, of the water, of the creatures, of the people that are interrelated, and then that bigger network of the community, like these are perfect metaphors that the garden shows us every day. Absolutely correct. I could not agree with you more. It's 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 so true, and it, it isn't that example that you just described like just a perfect little micro example of of life itself and of effort, you know. And our students are wonderful little strawberry starts, right? And but if you don't give that strawberry start enough enough sun and enough soil, you know, rich soil, water, fertilizer, you know, and keep it safe from pests, then that strawberry start will will never flourish. But if you give it a little bit of those things, then that plant was going to flourish, you know. And so same thing with our students, you know, and, and the youth right now is 
that if, if we hold our, our students and, and, the, and the young folks of America just to high standards and reward them when, you know, they've earned it and support them when they need it, you know, and so hopefully for our students, you know, they'll figure it out. When we're out in the garden working hard, I reward them with, in so many different ways, right? With praise, with produce, flowers and plants. And like we mentioned earlier, our students can get paid when they work off campus. And so there's so many different opportunities. And then that leads obvi- uh, eventually to paid, actually getting jobs off campus in, an, in, an, in a real job. And so we have folks here on campus where their entire job is to, is to work with our business leaders in the area to get our students employed. Yeah. And so I think that's also a missing factor in our education system is we need to get our 16, 17, 18 year olds into the workforce as soon as possible um, because it, that is just so beneficial to success later on is being able to overcome uh, the little hurdles that we have now. And like I said, we need, we, need, uh, we need more doers. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your your hopes for this program or it being a model for other programs or? That is the hope, I think. I think the hope is, is that I can continue on with my students, support the ones I have now, build up the program in such a way that we become more advanced in the things that, in the topics that we can discuss and the activities that, that we take part in are, can become higher level. Mm-hmm. And so that way when I have students in the future, um, there's points of entry for everybody to have success. Because here at the school, we have many different students and they all have different strengths and different weaknesses like any school. But we, a schools, it's our duty to figure out ways in which we can reach our children and enrich them um, intellectually and provide them with uh, avenues for success. Thank you for being a guest on the program, Kevin. It's been so fun to visit with you and I just can't tell you how impressed I am with all that you have done here. Well, thank you so much. It's like been an honor to have you here and like people can't see, but I'm smiling like ear to ear <laughs> um, because I love this. And I, I think folks like you are, are exactly what make this program, you know, run. It's, it's, it's what we do it all for. And, and, and your passion is actually what I am hoping to build in my students. And so if you talked about earlier, if I ever felt um, happy or felt like some level of success, if I ever student who has a passion like yours for plants, then I'll probably know I think I did something right. Kevin Jordan is a science and horticulture teacher to at-risk students at the Leo A. Palmiter Junior and Senior High School in Sacramento, California. His students come from many different neighborhoods scattered throughout Sacramento, as well as the Arden Arcade neighborhood in which the school is located. The campus serves about 100 students, who typically range in age from 12 to 20 years old and often come from households with limited financial resources. Kevin writes, The aim of my program is to provide our students with a hands-on approach to learning about horticulture, nutrition, mathematics, business, history, and many other academic disciplines. My program also strives to provide students with a safe and dynamic learning experience that they can take pride in, and I take pride in. I recently uploaded a song I wrote about plants and learning on YouTube entitled Learn, Grow, Daily. I hope you check it out. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways that people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. 
to see many beautiful photos of Kevin's proud students, their gardens, grounds, and garden classroom, head over to cultivatingplace.com. And while you're there, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.